Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, here by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, happy belated Father's Day. And how uh, are yes. you doing? Doing all right. Had uh, a Father's Day. Had some dim sum, had some pizza, played some board games. All wholesome um, fun. Mostly just kind of took it really easy, kicked back, relaxed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what that's what Father's Day is all about, right? Is just having a day of doing, just kind of just relaxing nothing. things. Did you get any golfing or? No, I, I I didn't, and I wasn't planning to. I usually don't actually play golf on Father's Day because that's like the most crowded day on the course. So yeah. I usually try to play. So so I should have gone out on Monday or, um, but then I was busy. Then 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 I was like taking all day Father's Day off. I. Uh, Worked like a bunch of hours in the garden on Saturday and Monday. I mean, so. what, what, on Father's Day, I mean, golf is such a tradition. What, you know, just taking some time away for four hours. I mean, that sounds about right, but it is definitely packed on Father's Day more than anything. We are coming yeah, to I, you here. I, I actually, speaking of golf, like, you, know, I, you saw I, I was trying to work on my game because I'm going to go play with some college buddies. So I, I don't want to just like shank it every time. So I was terrible. When I first went to the driving range, so, so then I went last week, and you saw there was a little toad next to my driving range spot, and I got much better. So, as you said, I had the hypno toad. All hail the hypno toad! All hail the hypno. You should have should have seen if it uh, tag along and be a caddy for a couple rounds. <laughs> but anyway, it definitely helped. Enough off the railsness. Um, <laughs> we are here coming to you uh, Wednesday night. It's like we were off the rails in like the first thirty seconds. But anyway, we are here on a Wednesday night, uh, June 21st, and Dad, it is that time of year. It is the doldrums of summer. There is not a whole lot of Packers news going on. If you had anything interesting that you wanted to check out, um, Packers-wise, I think the only real things that kind of came up on my feed were Preston Smith showed up on NFL Network and kind of gave Adam Rank some uh, some beef because, uh, what was it, Adam Rank was saying that the Bears, Adam Rank is a is a Bears fan, was saying the Bears were going to sweep the, the Packers this year. And Preston Smith, uh, did you see this, Dad? He said, I, he said, I just want to tell Adam, uh, I have never lost to the Bears once in my oh, career. Oh, yes, I saw that, that. I saw that very quote. Yes, I have never lost to the Bears. <laughs> not, not when in I was Washington. in Washington. Not when I was on the, not, not been in Green Bay. Yep. And so, hey, he's not wrong. Um, but yes, yeah, that was interesting. And then uh, Dusty Evilly had Mina Kimes on his show um, on, uh, Pack- on Pack-A-Day podcast, which is a great episode if you want to go check that out. Uh, we retweeted it from the father-son Packers podcast account. Um, if you want to go follow us there, forgot to do a couple pitches, at father-son Packer. You can find us there. We tweet out things we find interesting like that articles we find interesting uh when we have new episodes out um packers news packers packers anything you know if you want to stay up to date with what's going on in title town come give us a follow there at father son packer we promise we'll keep you up to date and if you like what you hear here i uh, might as well finish up with these pitches um come follow us on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts you can find us you can also find us on youtube father son packers podcast we put all our episodes out there as well so you know Come give us a subscription. Come subscribe. Come follow us. It would really help our numbers. We'd really appreciate it. But anyway, what was I talking about? Yes, Dusty Evely I had. I just, was, I just heard the word pitches, 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 pitches. But Community. Dusty, <laughs> Dusty Evely <laughs> had. Dynasty. 
<laughs> Dusty Evely had Mina Kimes on his show to talk a little bit about um, what she was expecting out of Christian Watson this year. Talked a little bit about how Matt LaFleur might change up the scheme a little bit. And talked a bit about Jordan Love as well, which I thought was all really um, awesome conversation. Really interesting um, just talking points and good to hear both their views on it. They're both super smart football minds and really good to listen to. Um, but yeah, so that's really the only interesting things going on in the yeah. sphere of the Packers I, I give, right give now. A, give a shout out to Andy Herman doing his like daily grind of all kinds of Packers scenarios. Oh man, lately. I can't uh, imagine. Get... Can you imagine doing <laughs> Packers content every single doing day this, like, this time for, of year? Like, half an hour or more every day. Yes, but that doesn't mean we don't have something interesting to talk to you about today. Because, Dad, you did a lot of work on this. I want to shout out to you. You put in hours and hours and hours on work at this. This is going to be our first of two episodes previewing the NFC North. And we took a data-driven approach to this. Today, we're going to be previewing the offenses of the NFC North, position group by position group. And, Dad, do you kind of want to just start talking about how we were approaching this problem of how to compare these position groups uh, from one team to the next and kind of end up on who we think is going to have the best offense in the NFC North this year. Yeah, so what I wanted to do is is, uh, have some kind of numbers behind ranking the different position groups um, just in the NFC North because it would take... It was already already took a ton of time. So I was not going to be able to do this for 32 teams. Four... Four teams was was already a, a you know a, a ton of, of uh, effort to get together, so I got the depth chart. Looked at a couple um, sites. Eventually settled on pulling the depth chart from uh, CBSSports.com, but uh, the ones at ESPN and rlads.com were very similar. Um, so I I got the the expected you know, kind of lineup starters and main subs. And of course, how many different players are subs depends on the position group. Um, then I, I took the, so I wanted to get a kind of weighted grade for each group combined for all the players based on, in this case, I took their PFF grades and their snap counts also, for, which I also extracted from PFF from last for the position groups from last year. So what I did is, so... I got the same so number you took... of players for each position group. Mm-hmm. And then to control for the unequal contribution of players within the position group, because, you know, the, the starter will say, like, you know, Aaron Jones is going to contribute to the running back group a lot more than Patrick Taylor. And so his PFF grade is much more important. So what I did is I figured out the snap count for each position on the depth chart. And for that, I took the snap counts for each position on the depth chart for each team from last year. So what was the snap count for wide receiver one? What was the snap count? And I basically counted the snap counts for wide receiver one and two as equal, essentially almost all the snaps, like 90% or more. I figured most, that could be two wide receiver sets, kind of the base, and then be adding receivers most of the time rather than taking receivers away. Um, And then I used the, the team had for the, wide receiver three, four, and five, for example, how many snaps. And then the same thing for the tight end group, Where I, except here I just used their snap counts for their tight end one, tight end two, tight end three, snap counts for running back one, running back two, running back three, because there may be a lot of sets where there aren't any running backs on the field or there aren't any tight ends on the field, so you couldn't do the same. 
kind of assume that the top players would play most of the snaps. There are a couple positions I did that. So like quarterback, I just did QB1 because QB1 plays all the snaps that matter. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully for each of these teams. Yes, but uh, we're not... We're not ranking teams based yeah. on effed. Yeah. As as the famous Colts quote goes about Peyton Manning, we don't practice without 18 because without 18, we're effed, and we don't practice effed. We don't practice effed. Right. So we're not ranking effed. Um, and and then a couple of the positions, so the players like almost never lead the, lead the field, like starting safeties and your one, two cornerbacks. We'll talk about them next week when we talk about the defense. But essentially, the wide receiver one and two, I gave them um, a high percentage of snaps. And for the O-line, I was tempted to just go with the five starters because you don't sub in and out. You just play your starters all the time. But I decided to add one sub because you almost always have to have at least one person. So I added a, a, one, a six lineman just to give a little bit of measure of depth for the line. And so to give the, that six linemen some snaps, I gave them like 50% of the total snaps and all the rest, 90 each. So to add up to uh, it basically taking 10% for each of the starters and giving it to the um, the primary backup. So that was how I set the number of snaps. And then I essentially took the uh, their play grade, their PFF grade. From, from last year, right? From last year, multiplied it by the number of snaps divided by the total number of snaps in the position. So essentially the percentage, so it's their PFF grade is corrected for their percentage of snaps within the position. And then I summed up the grade for each player to give an overall grade. So it's essentially an average grade, average PFF grade for the position adjusted for snap percentage. Yeah, it, and as I understand it, it's kind of you've made like a weighted average essentially, where yes. the players that are going to be playing more, their PFF grade factors more into this composite PFF grade, this this conglomeration of PFF grades, as opposed to the players that are playing less. And so altogether, you kind of get something that still looks like a PFF grade, which makes sense, and you know, still we kind of know what it's supposed to look like. And it's just kind of taken from all these different players. So the wide receiver one and two are going to matter more than the wide receiver three, wide receiver four, wide receiver five, etc. I kind of wanted to ask, though, how did you settle on PFF grade? I think it's it's a good metric. It's as good a metric as any. Um, I think, you know, I think as I, I feel about it, I feel like it's a really good metric in terms of ease of access, ease of understandability. People really understand it the more they've been used. And, you know, it's just like when you're dealing with a lot of players, the noise within a PFF grade kind of gets canceled out as well as kind of how I viewed it. But I just wanted to see, since you decided on PFF grade, what your thoughts on using that were. So one of the, I guess a couple of the main things is this kind of ease of access. The fact that there's a grade for every position um, and that is film-based Presumably, but I think the base it is the, the film analysis. So there is a little bit of guesswork on what an assign player's assignment is on a on a given play. That's a little bit of guesswork there. But I wanted to, ha- and, and also they're sort of standardized to have a similar grade for the mean for a position group. So it's an easy thing to look and say, okay, this score means somebody's about average. The score means somebody's above average. The score means somebody's elite. And so it's kind of a quick an easy reference for whether a player is kind of at the top of their position or 
below average at their position. And so I, yeah. I went with that. And so, it, so you can kind of quick look at, um, especially within a position, how somebody is supposed to be rated and get us a little bit of a insight. And I think it's usually pretty good about whether somebody is elite at the, um, in the league or not, regardless yeah. of position. I think it generally matches the eye test. I mean, you look at the best players in the league. They're all high PFF grades, players like Justin Jefferson that we're going to talk about, players like Amon Ross St. Brown that we're going to talk about. I also wanted to touch a little bit on why we decided to use just the previous year's PFF grades and why some people might argue, hey, what is the reason to use the previous and, and how can you be sure that that's going to be essentially what's coming up on this next year? And we did look a little bit about that on how PFF grade changes year to year amongst players. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so I wanted, so I was trying to make, this as accurate a prediction as we could. And so what I start, so I wanted to see how much a player's PFF grade would change as they've been in the league. You know, I, I originally had this notion that, Oh, we could, we might see a lot of like improvement in during the like rookie contract from like year one to four. And then when they get older, it would start to decline. And so I just randomly picked one draft year but not entirely randomly because I picked a draft year where I could get 10 years of um, grades. So I started with 2012 and then I got the PFF grades for the 2012 draft class for their first 10 years. So from 2012 to I guess 2021 because 2022 would have been the 11th year. And I didn't, I didn't, I probably I could have done that because we have a couple of 11 year player, 11th year players coming up here in, in here. But, uh, what I found was a little, it actually surprised me a little bit. There's a little, and uh, um, you had, Tommy, the, the insights to compare for each player, because I was struggling with a lot of like zeros in the data where somebody didn't play for a year or, you know, never made a team and not wanting those to throw things off. Using, a, comparing a player's PFF score to their, maximum personal score and then seeing how in what years they were getting you know on average or actually a median closer to their maximum um potential or further and yeah what and i found I think is the, that i think the reason to to scale that way if, if i my my thought behind that was what we were running into was an instance where if you're just comparing the median um PFF grades, you have this issue where as you're going down the years, the worst players, the players with lower grades, start to just essentially not be in the league anymore. And so you could end up in this scenario where let's say you had 10 players and five of them for just ease of math had a PFF grade of 100 and five of them had a PFF grade of 50 in year one, let's say. And so you have this median PFF grade of, of 75 in year one. And then let's say you get to year five and those players that had a PFF grade of 50 are all, are, are all not in the league anymore. And then the five players who had a PFF grade of 100 have kind of seen their grades tick down to 75. Then you would again have a median PFF grade of 75 and it would look like, hey, from year one to year five, there's not that much change. But really you saw each player decline individually. It's just the whole of the number kind of looks the same. However, we did kind of find something Similar, though, that there wasn't that much change year to year in PFF grade um, over the course of like longer swaths of time, like from year one to year six, 
there was definitely a bit of a there was like a change a dip but year like something like year four to year five year five to year six et cetera et cetera really not that much of a change which is kind of why we settled on just using last year's PFF grade right right and so if you look at it say even if you go from like year four to year seven you see a pretty big drop there like a ten percent drop but if you just go one year at a time it's only a couple percent and didn't actually, and I, I ran those numbers actually, sort of making an adjusted projected PFF, saying, okay, if I reduce this by the whatever 5% of reduction in the PFF grade from one year to the next, or a, you know, 2 or 3% increase from one year to the next, depending on which year, it's just, it really didn't change the overall rankings very much. So it wasn't. I thought there'd be a bigger difference from one year to the next um, for certain years um, than than it turned out to be. Yeah, and I would have the, thought so as well. I, I would have thought there would have been a big change from like year seven to year eight. I recently did something looking at um, fantasy points depending on age and career season for something I've been working on. And you see big dips at like the 28 to 29 kind of age cliff. Um and so I was expecting something similar for PFF grades, but it looks like it doesn't follow kind of a usual production type, like scaling of of um, of production year to year, like how that would grades seem kind of more consistent. So one thing I did not do, because it would have taken even more time, was to do a snap count plus grade analysis. Um, and it may be that as players are aging, they're having to scale back to maintain some efficiency. And that has an overall impact on how big their contribution is, which is another issue entirely um, that I didn't get into here. There's but anyway. One other th- oh, one sorry, other, go ahead. So one other little bit of thing I, thing I had to do in order to, to, to create the score, what do you do about rookies? Rookies have no previous ah, year PFF grade. That is the question. <laughs> so... We, and we had in the depth chart, I don't know, maybe a dozen rookies. So in order to estimate a PFF grade for this coming year for the rookies, and also I did this for Lewis Seen, who played like two snaps or something before he had he was out for the year. Yeah, and we'll be doing defense. We'll be doing defense yeah, next so week. It won't, it won't, come, up, it won't come up this week. But I guess the only one, a second-year player I did this for. But what I did, so I first I found all the rookies who are in the um, depth chart, projected depth chart, their position and their draft round. And then I went over the previous five years of drafts and got all the players the same position in the same draft round and got all of their PFF grades and found the median PFF grade for all rookies at that same position who are drafted in the same round as the players that we are interested in here. And so I, I used a five-year sample from 2018 to 2022. The smallest group that we had, so one of the groups we needed was a, a running running back from round one because of um, Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs, right? Yep. You got it. And, th- and there are only six running backs to use for that. And then the, the next smallest were the tight, tight end from round two, which there were two this year, Laporta and Musgrave, and defensive tackle from round two which was um, Gervin Dexter, I think. For, yes, for, for the Bears. Bears. Out of Florida. And 
And then some of them had, you know, like 20 or more players. Anyway, I used that data, used those data to try to predict what a, a reasonable PFF pr um, prediction would be for the rookies in order to make and have a number to use for the um, overall position group grade. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best way to go about doing it because, you know, obviously it's a distribution. Like they could they could land a lot of different places along that, like along that curve. They could be really good. They could be really bad. But you know, on the whole, they're all going to hit around in the middle, and that's kind of the best we can do for that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on methodology wise before we kind of start getting into how we think these position groups are going to shake out in twenty twenty three amongst the NFC North four? Yeah. I mean, so I wanted to do this so I could do a subjective, so not subjective, do as an objective I, analysis as I possible can do... because it's so easy to do. <laughs> if you don't throw any data in, I can make, uh, we're number one every, in, in every single position group. There's no way I we're going to. I can do a subjective analysis <laughs> every day, any day. I, I'm great at subjective analysis. Right. So those are those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's easy to do. And that's what exactly. I was trying to avoid. <laughs> um, so we'd have some numbers and uh, it didn't necessarily work out quite the way I was hoping, but it's only the offense. Yeah. And this I'm, sure, the... I'm sure Joe Barry is going to save us. Oh yes. And <laughs> this is only the offense. Um, some other caveats, obviously PFF grades aren't perfect. Um, they are made by people They uh, The film is evaluated by people who occasionally make mistakes on the whole of a whole season. You'd think it kind of would even out a little bit. Um, those mistakes and that noise would kind of be canceled out, but it is something to keep in mind. PFF grades aren't perfect. They are a pretty good tool, but that's what they are is a tool. Um, we're not counting into, uh, into this coaching. So we're not taking into account that, Hey, we think Matt LaFleur is a better play, uh, play caller than, um, uh, Kevin O'Connell, for instance, for the Vikings, something like that. Uh, we're not taking into account, um, I think those are the those would be the main things I would say are like the caveats I would add is do not take into account yeah. coaching and that PFF grades aren't perfect. And, and one thing that we also did is we resisted the urge to fine tune with our extensive familiarity with the Packers when we would not yes. be doing that with the other teams. So, for example, knowing um, like Jordan Love. Uh, when he played, whether we should add some data from other years, uh, make adjustments for injuries. So we didn't do that. But we could talk about that a little bit. Um, what, where there might be some things that could be different than what we've got. Um, but we didn't actually include that in the overall rankings. Yeah, and like for Jordan Love, small sample size. The other bit of caveat is Halapoluti Vaitai. Um out of the Lions did not play uh, in 2022. Um, apologies if I struggle with that pronunciation. I, I tried my best. Um, but so we are using his 2021 PFF grade. Um, beyond that, though, should we kind of get cracking? Yep, let's get cracking. So we, you want to you start us off with the first group? Yeah, so the first group to talk about after going through all this methodology, if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter, at Father Son Packer. We'd love to talk about kind of the process we went through here. Um, but the first thing we want to talk about is offensive line. Um, and so the way that that shook out uh, amongst our process um, is 
we had the Vikings having the best offensive line with a composite score of 74.25, looking at Darisaw, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram, Brian O'Neill, and Ole Udo. We had the Lions in second with a composite score of 72.06, Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnow, uh, Vitae, Penny Sewell, and Graham Glasgow. The Bears with a composite score of in third. The Bears in third with a composite score of 70.46. Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, Cody Whitehair, Nate Davis, um, Darnell Wright, and Riley Reef. And then the Packers in fourth with a composite grade of 68.12 with Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Tom, and Nyman. So this one, I think, was probably the most surprising to me. The Packers all the way in last in our composite predictions for offensive line play in 2023. Vikings in first makes sense. They had a really good offensive line last year. Bears ahead of the Packers is surprising, and Lions not in first is a bit surprising. If you would have asked me to do this subjectively, I would have gone Lions, Packers, Vikings, Bears, I think, personally. But we're looking at Vikings, Lions, Bears, Packers. What are your thoughts on that, Dad? Are you surprised at all with how this shook out? I was surprised that the Packers were last. Um, one thing you look at, um, they, the PFF really didn't like Myers, didn't like yeah. Runyon it's very fair. much. Runyon, um, Runyon had a very, I think, his poorest year last year, which, you know, using the previous year does ding him there. But hey, he wasn't, he was worse last year than he had been in his previous years. So that's, that's how the, the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. And, and Myers was one of the worst. Um, lineman in the hole. Only only Ed Ingram for the uh, the Vikings had a worse PFF grade among all the linemen that we included in in this uh, in this analysis. And and then Runyon was you know close to him as well. Yeah, and then one you... thing that you could say if you want to that well we have two of our best linemen were both coming back from ACL last year. Yep. Um, and if they both go back to what they were pre, um, injury, then they would be much higher than they are here. That would be more like, I think on par with the lions about even with the lions. Yeah. And while the Packers are in fourth in this grade, I think that they probably have, um, are a little lower on the volatility level. Um, I think the bears are in third, but you know, it is a bit dependent on a lot of new additions. Nate Davis is a really good guard that they added. And then Darnell Wright, the first rounder, top 10 pick at tackle that they added, are both projected to be starters for them, are guys that they're really going to be leaning on this year. But there is some volatility there when you're adding new pieces to an offensive line. But I think that those are two really exciting pieces for them and that if they can get good contributions from them this year, that's going to really turn around their offense a lot. Um, the Lions, like we've yeah. talked about, have had a really good offensive line pretty much the past two or three years. So not surprised to see them up there. And then the Vikings, I you was know. Listening, I was listening a little bit to a, um episode. I think it was Packaday, um, Jacob Westendorf, and um, Jacob Morley doing a draft of other NFC North teams. And... From the Lions, I think they picked uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Penny Sewell. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I might take Frank Ragnow. Ragnow for, is a hell of a for center. the Packers. Oh, if we're talking about the Packers, yes, I feel yes, a yes. lot. This is a draft for oh, okay. the Packers. 
I would take Ragnow. Yeah, I think he's a top five center in the league, in my opinion. I think I think it's it's obviously um Kelsey and Humphrey, which hurts because we took Myers one pick before Humphrey for some reason. Um probably because he's lefty is probably the reason. And he's a little smaller. But I I and then I think I think Ragnow deserves to be in that conversation going on down for those next spots. Um But yeah, and then you know the the Vikings offensive line, um it's I think the depth is a question mark. Um, that sixth spot, Oli Udo, like you said, was the only player had the worst grade of all the players in the North. So you do have some questions about the depth, but you can't doubt that starting five. I mean, no, actually, Christian, it, was, it was it was it was Ed Ingram had the worst grade in the oh, North. Oh, it was Ed Ingram. Sorry, Udo. thank you. It was Ed Ingram. Um, but so okay, so Ingram had the worst one. That's I, I take it back. But I do still have questions about their depth. But anyway, um, Darisaw, his second year in the league last year, had is already one of the best left tackles in the league. Um, Bradbury is a good run blocker, um, but Kenny kind of eats his lunch when they play. So, um, and then Brian O'Neill is a really good tackle. I did not do which something that the Packers would have, I think, finished much higher on if we had just done pass blocking grade. Yeah, the I think Packers, we. I mean, the Packers, the Packers do, struggled to block the run yeah, last year. They do much better in pass blocking grade. If you just look at the for each individual player. Their run blocking grade is much worse than their pass blocking grade. So if we had hey, done, you got to be able to, got to be able to do both. You, you just I, mean, I think this is, you know, inside the five yard line struggles last year. Run blocking, run blocking. We just could not move the pile or open the holes for yeah. powering in on and so I, many I'm, short I'm yards looking plays. at I'm looking at Myers and Runyon on that one. Honestly, I think they they they're the biggest problem in terms of just not getting push. Um on run plays. Yeah. So if we if we broke this down and say O line pass blocking, O line run blocking, um things would have shaken out. I don't know how much different, but I, I bet the Packers would have been close to the top. Yeah, and I bet we would have been dead or last in run blocking. So <laughs> even dead or last. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's, cuts let's both beat ways. that dead horse <laughs> with a dead snake. Yes. But so the Packers were projecting to, you know, not have the best have have the worst O line in the North. Although to be fair, there's a lot of talent on the offensive line in the North, especially established talent with the Vikings and Lions, and then some young up and coming talent with the Bears. Let's move on though to running backs where we have a little bit better news for Packers fans. By our projections, we have the Packers having the best running back room with Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, and Patrick Taylor with a composite score of eighty three point three. Then a pretty big jump down. All up to the Bears, number two, with Deontay Foreman, Khalil Herbert, and Roshan Johnson coming in at a score of 72.03. Um, and then third, the Lions, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, and Craig Reynolds with a com- right behind them with a composite score of 71.7. And then in last, the Vikings with a composite score of 66.8 with Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler, and Dwayne McBride, their seventh-round pick. Uh, so the Packers have the are the best of this position group, which is a good thing. Makes sense. Aaron Jones is the most established player amongst these players. Jameer Gibbs might be really good. It's a first round pick. Could certainly be great. And then the Bears, I think, have some nice depth there. Um, no real established star. But, you know, I think Aaron Jones is clearly the best of these players. And then Dylan's probably the best of the number two of these players. Um, unfortunately oh, yeah. for the Packers, and, and this Dylan... is probably the least important position of of all of these but they 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 crush the other teams in this particular this is i think the biggest gap between one and two of any of the positions it's like the packers but in a landslide 
AJ Dillon has a better grade than any other running back on any of the teams. Do you want to hear something interesting that I saw tweeted out? Sure. And I want to hear what you think about this. Since we're talking about AJ Dillon, did you know he was fifth in success rate in the league last year? I did not. Isn't that something? People talk a lot about how he had kind of a down year last year. And I remember looking at the numbers as the season went on. It was, in some ways, I think, driven a little bit by the early season narrative. And I remember we talked about this during the season last year. His like first 12 weeks were very similar to the first 12 weeks of the year before. It was only at the end that he started getting better and better. The one thing that I think is like his receptions were not as were down last year compared to the year before both his catch percentage and, and his uh, overall um, number of receptions and, and yards, maybe yards per it's, reception as well. It's just interesting to me because I think of him last year and I'm like, wow, he was, he was so much worse last year. And I just, I think it's, it's almost an eye test thing. And it's just watching him and just, he did turn it up a little bit at the end of the year, I think against some, mediocre competition I would say at the end of the year to be fair I think the Packers schedule kind of eased up a little at the end but it's just interesting fifth in success rate which is kind of a measure of if you if listeners you didn't know is kind of like you know third like it's the idea that running for a certain number of yards on certain downs is more valuable than others so like a third and keeping on schedule to make a first down it's like a first on first down running five yards is a six is a success on second down and like medium running like three or four yards of success. And then third down, getting a first down is a success. It's kind of, and it's kind of essentially how many successes you have over the total number of opportunities and top five is pretty wild. I wonder if that's a function of him getting a lot of third and short touches, which, you know, if you consider it easier to get a yard, albeit in a tougher situation to get a yard, is it easier to have a higher success rate when that is your role? I don't know. That's just kind of a question it's I have for that number. Question: If they did, do they control for the um, league-wide success for different types of opportunities? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering because I, you could argue it's easier to run for a yard on third down than it is to run for six yards on first down even though I think that's how they calculate success rate amongst running backs. I think it's six yards. Um, shoot. I don't I wish remember I... what the exact numbers are, but that's kind of the concept where if you get yourself into a position where you are kind of likely to get a first down to keep the sticks moving, then it's considered a success. But I forget what the exact numbers are, but that's the idea. And then when you get into third and short or fourth and short, can you convert the first down? Yeah, and, I would and say that for the for the Packers, like um, we put in Patrick Taylor, but I think this would really change if we put in Goodson, Goodson or yeah. um, Nichols. I I think it's going to be one of Jones Goodson and, Dylan and Taylor hog up the snaps. Yeah, um, last year Jones had six hundred thirty, Dylan had five hundred thirty seven, and Taylor had thirty four. So the number yeah. three running back is not doing too. This is different from this the split for some of the other teams where though they have less of the it's interesting how it's distributed like the Vikings did bell cow number running back one last year vastly dominated the snaps 
Mm-hmm. Packers divide the snaps almost exclusively among their top two. And then the Lions use the third running back a, a fair amount and the, and the Bears a little bit more than than the Packers. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, I think. And then looking down the list, you got the Packers at one. Bears at two, like I said, we got um, Deontay Foreman, who was pretty nice for the Panthers last year. He's been around the league a while now. We kind of know what he is. He's a, a, very, a solid volume back, a solid heavy hitter. Um, you got Khalil Herbert, who was really nice in his stint. Um, whenever he filled in for David Montgomery, I felt like he was honestly better than him. Um, and then you do have to keep in mind that they're not really, like, they're getting a lot of carries, but they're not going to get as many carries as some of these other running backs because Fields is going to take a lot of those carries as well. Going down this list, though, you see guys like Gibbs, and you could see a path to the Lions being the best running back after like the best running back room after this year if Gibbs hits like some people do I think you 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 mentioned that it was Andy Herman who had him graded really highly going into the draft um a lot of people were really high on him he went 12th overall which is a lot higher than people even thought so the Lions are clearly very high on him and then what, uh you know one thing he's got is speed which is often a predictor for running back success he is also small though which is he is also small for running backs under 200 pounds um, which Aaron Jones is as well, I think. Or he's Some people like say that flat. they don't believe he's like 200-something. I, I don't believe he's 200-something. Um, but and but so that's that's kind of how it breaks down. And then the Vikings, obviously, moving on from Dalvin how, Cook. How's, how's this for Aaron Jones is roughly my size. <laughs> it might be not, distributed a little differently. I was going to say, not your shape. <laughs> not your shape, though. Um, but... Uh, moving on though and then the Vikings obviously moving on from Dalvin Cook that was another piece of news that we didn't necessarily talk about too much but they've moved on from Dalvin Cook when Alexander Madison played he's filled in pretty well um, with volume he's not quite as efficient as Dalvin Cook not quite as explosive as Dalvin Cook but pretty good runner and then they seem pretty high on Ty Chandler and their seventh rounder Dwayne McBride moving on though to receivers dad for this we had the Vikings at one uh, with a score of 76.3. Going to be pretty easy to get up there when you got a guy like Justin Jefferson. Uh, and then you got yeah, Jordan Addison. Like getting a, f- a ton of snaps and getting an elite, elite grade. Yeah, and then you got Jordan Addison, who's a first-round pick. You got K.J. Osborne, who's proven to be pretty good in a pinch. Jalen Rager, who hasn't been as good as kind of people thought he might be, but still has some decent talent and then Brandon Powell uh who I'm not as familiar with as the wide receiver five but they yeah. were in first with a score of 76.3 in second were the and, Lions and, and just to say about like the number of snaps on the Vikings those like fourth and fifth wide receivers are you like 10 times fewer snaps than the top three it's a little mm-hmm. different for some teams they spread it out a little bit more but the Vikings really crowd all the um targets to their top two so one thing we've done here is essentially their, slotted their, snap, their snaps their snaps the, you mean not their targets their, their snaps one thing we've done here is essentially slotted jordan addison into the adam thielen role yeah which As makes sense the projected number two and we're kind of at least for now since i got the same offense um running the same system that they'll distribute targets in a similar way that may, may or may not be the case Distribute but snaps in a similar way. I mean, We're not really controlling snaps. for targets at all. Distribute snaps. Yes. Yeah. And then in second, we've got the Lions with Amon Ross St. Brown, who had an excellent year last year. Jamison Williams, who, you know, it's always tough to know what to do with his snap count, given that he's going to be suspended for this first six games. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. 
Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, and Marvin Jones back for his second stint with Detroit after some time in Jacksonville. They had a composite score of 72.3, so four down from the Vikings. Then you got a pretty sizable drop down to the Bears in third with DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, Equinemius St. Brown, Dante Pettis. DJ Moore being the big one of note there as a new addition to the Bears um, receiver room. Kind of got They got him essentially for moving from the first overall pick all the way down to ninth with Carolina along with a uh, bevy of other picks. Uh, Claypool was someone they also added last year, although apparently things are not going so well with that. You hate to see it. Um, they had a composite score of 66.3. And then in last, wah, wah, the Packers in fourth uh, with Watson Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Samori Toure, and Dontavian Wicks. So the only t- one of these teams with two rookies slated to take up a lot of uh, snaps uh, with a composite score of 65. So just a touch below the Bears, but below the Bears nonetheless. Um, it's th- It makes sense when you have a second and a fifth round rookie kind of expected to take a lot of snaps going into it being younger than the rest of these groups being a little less proven than the rest of these groups you know i think when you look at the number one receiver on all the rest of these teams justin jefferson i think is clearly better than did you see this thing that was being tweeted around by packers twitter that christian watson has a higher ceiling than justin jefferson (sighs) can we can we just not make ourselves look like like that is the most stupid take I've ever heard about? That's like people saying Justin Fields is going to be MVP. What is the, the the? It's like, what do you mean when you say Chris? Are you saying like, okay, Christian Watson's a better athlete than Justin Jefferson on paper? Justin Jefferson's ceiling is he's the best receiver in the league, if not top two. Are you saying that that he has the most receiving yards in a c- career? through four years or whatever it is through, through through however many years he's played i think it's four now because he was drafted in 2020 same year as jordan love it's so it would be his fourth year so through three years through three so years. through three years he has the most receiving yards ever so what what are we trying to say christian watson's ceiling is more than that like more what are than we talking ever? About? yeah what are we talking about um but anyway when you look at these yeah. other teams the like is, justin jefferson is actually an elite athlete there would be people coming out it's like yeah, yeah. oh he's kind of a possession receiver he runs in the slot he's got an incredibly high catch percentage oh and by the way he's also crazy fast yeah it's like it's like yeah we we should have known um and you and i did know actually he was we were high i really realized i was like i looked like oh man he's got an incredible catch percentage like 80 percent. and then he hit the combine said oh wait he's got ridiculous speed as well this is the guy this is the guy over every other guy in wide receiver that year that was going ahead of him it was a great receiver class too and that was the I wanted him at the Packers so bad. Yep, that's what. Yeah, it happens. But you know, still got clamped by Jair Alexander. Is all I'm going to say. Anyway, um, <laughs> but when you look at when you look at these teams, though, you look at Justin Jefferson, Amon Ross, St. Brown, DJ Moore. I think all of those are well more established wide receiver ones than Christian Watson. Can Watson get to that level? Uh, maybe, possibly, hopefully. Um, I, mean, I think we saw a lot of promising. We saw a lot of promising stuff from him in his first year, but I don't think it's it, it's fair to say that all three of those guys are more established. And then you look at wide receiver two for these other teams. Um, Darnell Mooney's had a thousand yard season. Jamison Williams is a first round pick. Jordan Addison was a first round pick. You could see you could see why it's fair to assume that they're going to have a better year than Dobbs coming up. And then, you know, the other three all have played in the NFL and Reed is a rookie. So I think it's fair to say that the Packers probably have the least impressive receiver group of these four teams. 
but you know, there's still room for optimism. I think we saw a lot from Watson last year that if he can build on, it's exciting. Dobbs has had a really good um, uh, OTAs and mini camp. There's a lot to be excited for for the Packers, but I think it's. I'm not surprised that they're fourth, is what I'll say. Yeah, if you look at the actual numbers that are underlying the overall grade, what you see is that yeah, both Detroit and Minnesota are driven by an elite, elite number one, with scores in the over 90. Robin Ross, St. Brown, and Justin Jefferson. While the Packers, number one, Watson has a, a grade of 77. I didn't go in. So it's like, oh, what if we look at just his grade over like the last six games of the year? <laughs> hey, no fidgeting with the data. Be. No fidgeting with the data. It's, hey. I'm sure that's the best projection for next year. I'm sure. 90% sure. 80% sure. 70% sure. He'll, he'll be on a I'm some a kind what? of sure. I'm some kind of sure. And, and what? also, then, he had what eight touchdowns in in four games. That's he that's was on like you on know, pace. I mean, that's on pace for thirty two thirty two <laughs> touchdowns. You know, so just extrapolate that out. Right. We're right there. It's just it's just math. That's just that's just math. That's just multiplying. I can do that. Um, and, and then yeah, Dobbs has like the worst grade of all of the number two receivers as well um, for last year. So yeah, you know, I think they both had some time of rookie struggles. Let's see what it is. This yeah. year, and it and it's I think it's just they fair both to also ass- had injuries for part of the years as well. That's true, and I, but I think it's fair to assume you know, and Jamison Williams did as well, and his especially is a very small sample size of a PFF grade is something to keep in mind. I think he had like he played two games at the end of the year, uh, coming back from that torn ACL he had at Alabama, so that's something to keep in mind too. Um, is there anything more you want to talk about wide receivers? Before we move on to tight ends. I guess that's the main thing. We can move on to tight ends. And, and I just mentioned that for the Jameson Williams uh, situation about whether he's going to, how many games he's going to miss next year with the suspension. I kind of ran the numbers with him that because his PFF grade for this limited time was not much different from the other receivers below him on the depth chart. It didn't change the overall score very much because just reduced his snap contribution and raised theirs and didn't affect the overall grade very much. Yeah, and then, so let's move on to tight ends. We got the Vikings in first with TJ Hawkinson, Josh, uh, TJ Hawkinson, Josh Oliver, and Johnny Munt with a score of 68.6. Uh, Bears, Cole Komet, Robert Tunyon, Jake uh, Tong. Uh, I'm not entirely Tongus? sure how to pronounce it. I don't it. actually know how Tongus, to Tongus, possibly. Yeah, I, it's hard to know what um, what origin it I is. Score of 64.4. Score of 64.4. And then you got the Packers in third with Musgrave, Kraft, and Deguara, score of 57.2. Really struggling, essentially, from the fact that they're two rookie tight ends and they don't usually produce all that much. But then in fourth, you got the Lions with Brock Wright, Sam Laporta, and James Mitchell with a score of 57. Um, you know, I think there's some things you could take uh, um, take look at here and be like, hey, Musgrave's ceiling's really high. Sure, certainly possible. Um, Hawkinson is clearly the best of these tight ends. Um, I don't think that's that hot a take, so it kind of makes sense that the Viking that the Vikings would have the best um, tight end group. Uh, there, I think this one is pretty cut and dry. Do you have anything you want to add on? No, I mean the main thing is like Hawkinson is like head and shoulders above the rest as far as we know right now, and Komet being the next most established. Uh, Tunyon, yeah, I think he's had after his injury has not gotten back to the his his one really good year. Um, but he maybe he's gonna but he also has some um already hit record of production for for the Bears. 
but it really is. You can see that's driven by the 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 grade of the number one tight end in terms of what's known. Which makes already. sense because most teams don't run a whole lot of two tight end sets a lot of the time. Um, and I think I forgot to mention, but the Lions composite score was fifty seven. So the gap between the Packers and Lions is literally it's essentially two. a tie. It's pretty much a tie. Um, that's kind of all we had on the tight ends, though. It's always hard for a rookie tight end to really make an impact. You could argue that's because oftentimes rookie tight ends don't really get the opportunity to take a lot of snaps, which the Packers but, will this but year. The Packers will because their top but, two are supposed, projected top two are both rookies. Exactly. But, you know, it's tough. And, um, and there's essentially no difference between the grade of a second round tight end and a third round tight end um based mm-hmm. on the last five years it's like a one point difference yeah um and then moving on to quarterback unless you wanted to add anything there and this one you know this one helps the packers a little bit um so we got the vikings in first with kirk cousins with the grade of 79.3 we know who kirk cousins is he's, he's a fine quarterback um, we got Jordan Love in second uh, with the Packers with 78.7. Reminder, he really did not play very much last year, so you got to keep in mind small sample size. But we did give the we gave the Lions a little bit of benefit on the small sample size with Williams. We got some other stuff there. We're help we're helping out these other teams on small sample size. But Love did have the second best PFF grade of all these quarterbacks last year, and that's just and, and we're only going a based small off amount that. behind Cousins. It was like you know point six. Yeah. Pretty close. Then we got Goff in third with a PFF grade of 72.4. That surprised me a little bit. I was thinking Goff was going to be a little better based on last year's performance than that. Yeah, I would have thought so too. Because he was putting up a lot of numbers and they were, you know, they had a bad defense for the first half of the year. And so they were in shootouts. But I guess it just wasn't very efficient or it wasn't as efficient as as it seemed in those high scoring games. And then we got Fields in fourth with a grade of 70.2. You know, I think this is pretty generous to love given that he didn't play very much. But I can still be hopeful. Why not? Yeah, we're just we're just using the data that we have. Yeah. We didn't try to say, okay, let's put in all of his uh, starts or, you know, when we went, the, the times he looked best or this is who he really is or any of the just last year's numbers. Not how was how many total snaps? I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't write it down because I just feel like I didn't need to assumed, calculate. Yeah, assumed a hundred percent of snaps this year. So right. But you know, but we were being much. pretty. We're we're trying to be as objective as possible. We had the Packers last in a lot of spots, but you know, just based on PFF grade, it, it's look at that it's projected if you if you maintain that level of play over a larger sample size which is not a guarantee um that he would be the second notice that you had done an additional analysis of epa per play um not yes. just cff grade for the quarterbacks i did put this in we did not talk about it but i can bring it up yeah we might as well um, talk about it now because i think this is looks like something nice to talk about right now Yes, so EPA per play is an idea of... So it's expected points added per play. And the idea is that... uh, The basic idea behind it is a 9-yard completion on 3rd and 12 is less valuable than a 9-yard completion on 3rd and 4. And essentially, it's just like the increase... It's less valuable than a 6-yard completion on 3rd and 4. Also, yes. Um, But it's the idea, essentially, that... uh, Context has to matter for these plays that are happening. 
um, down and distance, time and score, stuff like that. Um, and it's it's, it's ex- expected points added is kind of a um, per play is kind of a catch all metric to see essentially how good. Um, in this instance, we, we were looking at them for quarterbacks. Um, a player is on a, in terms of per play, uh, on a per play basis, um, looking at essentially how much they're helping their team and and trying to capture that idea of um, you know certain plays are more valuable in certain situations. Um, like you said, a six yard completion is more valuable on third and four than a nine yard completion on third and twelve. But for EPA per play, I thought this was interesting. Admittedly, a small number of plays for Jordan Love, but he had the best EPA per play of these four quarterbacks last year, 0.176. And you can say, so we are controlling for, you know, amount of plays by going per play. You could say that efficiency is not going to scale as well, which is certainly possible. But with a 0.176 EPA per play, that came in first. Jared Goff with a 0.171 EPA per play. Kirk Cousins all the way down at a .058 EPA per play, and then Fields right behind that at .032 EPA per play. Which, you know, and we got these stats from, um, shoot, I think it's Ben Baldwin um, is is the name of the guy. I forget what the, the site is, but Ben Baldwin put the site together. Um, which, you know, if you want a reason to be excited for Jordan Love, EPA per play is a pretty good metric. Um, I think it's something that's... Uh, becoming very in vogue nowadays um, in terms of people who are really looking at the analytics side of football are using it a lot. Um, but yeah, so that's something to add on. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about, uh, and that was just, you know, cause why not? It helps the Packers. I probably, I might not have added it on if it didn't, you know, might, might have just not mentioned it. You never know. It's just a very useful data point that we happen to stumble across. But you know, the thing is also as fuel to people who feel like Kirk cousins just adds empty stats but doesn't actually win when it when it counts. And these numbers are more in line with that and more in line with the sort of eye test last year that Goff seemed to be having one of his best years of his career and looked better than, than Cousins did last year. Yeah, and kind of, I just to expand on EPA per play, the idea is just kind of, you know as you get closer to the other team's end zone, um, you are increasing your odds of scoring. Um, and that as you move further down, you're more likely to score next is kind of the idea, um, is, is also a way of putting it. It's like the odds that you're the next team to score, I think is, is a big component in it. It's kind of hard. It's hard for me just on the spot to, to like really delve into it, but that's kind of like one of the big ideas behind it. Um, but in terms of our final composites, we have, when we essentially take all the rankings and average them out by position group, we're kind of projecting the Vikings to have the best offense. And then we have a three-way tie uh, in terms of averaging out these rankings between the Packers, Bears, and Lions, kind of thinking that they're all going to have similar levels of offenses in the coming year. Um, you know, you could argue, hey, certain positions are worth more than others. You should weight them. Fair. Quarterbacks should probably be rated more highly. Maybe tie goes to quarterback, in which case the Packers would be first. So, hey, if you want to argue that, if I want to argue if with you. EPA, EPA per play. The other thing we didn't do um, is how closely you've won a group by. You know, how, how, so 
you could say that the Packer, that maybe running back is important, but the Packers won it by a landslide. And we're close in others. So we, we neither weighted position groups based on perceived value for a position group, nor does this particular quick um, back-of-the-envelope ranking take into account how, you, you know, it just, it's just a, a, a based on rank rather than, like, how much better you are than the other teams in a particular group. Yeah. Because that would, that would add a little bit more weight to your finish within the group as well. Yeah, but I think pretty much what we're mainly getting out of this as we kind of wrap up here is that we're projecting the Vikings to have the best offense, which I don't think is that hot a take. They had a really good offense last year, and their main their main losses were Adam Thielen, who they replaced with a first-round receiver, and Dalvin Cook, who they replaced with a plenty capable running back in Alexander Madison. Um, and then beyond that, we kind of think all these offenses will be kind of steadily around the same level, give or take a little bit. Um, all these offenses are very different as well. And also we're not, like we talked about earlier, taking into account play caller and coaching and stuff like that. So, you know, something to keep in mind. But I think this bodes fairly well for the Packers as well. Some of their top level ones like running back isn't as important as some other positions. Quarterback that they were second in was on a small sample size. You could argue that the offensive line being in fourth, you know, was a bit harsh on them and that they have the players and possible... Um, ability to be higher than that going into next year but anyway dad is there anything else that you want to add on to this before we call it here i think that um we, we went over all of our uh every, everything we put together for this episode and and uh, how we got to where we where we did in the end what we did to do it so maybe listeners it was a little bit of a nerd dive um maybe maybe uh it was a little bit too much math for all for uh you there's no such For thing as you, too much math, Dad. It's that everyone loves math, didn't you know? There is always the right amount of math. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening. We are sorry that the Packers didn't come out on top on offense, but maybe next week they will on defense. If you like what you heard here, come Which give we us will a follow. Also, not being adjusting for coaching. No, thankfully, you know you win some, you lose some. But anyway, thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. Come subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube or both or all of them. You know, go into every single one of the podcast platforms and hit subscribe. We would definitely appreciate it. It would help our numbers. Go on YouTube, hit subscribe. It'd help our numbers. At Father Son Packer on Twitter. And then thanks so much. Until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. <laughs>